I'd like to go back to um, one of our earlier hymns that we sang. This last hymn, the final verse says, of the Lord. Of course, it has all these beautiful phrases describing the Lord and saying who he is. But one phrase says, the Lord with unveiled face. And it strikes me as we've been singing this morning and praising him, <coughs> how badly we need a glimpse of his face, how badly we need to see him uh, clearly. To uh, We know there's a hymn we sometimes sing that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, because when you do, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I really love this hymn 308 that we sang earlier. I thought we could just spend a little time with it and then look at three places in scripture that are referenced in this hymn to see the power of beholding the face of Christ, uh, really seeing him in a fresh light. Why do we need it? What effect does that have? And this hymn 308 is a hymn about idolatry and the cure for our love of idols. And I thought we could just look at it. And sometimes when we sing these songs, we might not pay attention to the words as we're singing. Maybe we're struggling to get the tune or some of the words might seem uh, unfamiliar. Um, but there's a lot of times precious ideas here that we don't want to miss. And so the hymn starts with a question, two questions. It says, hast thou heard him, seen him, known him? Is not thine a captured heart? That's the question uh, for each of us listening. Have you seen him? Have you actually known him? If you have, would you call your heart captured? Is it captured by him? Or are there other things pulling at your heart? I know there are sometimes for me, you know, there are many things in this world that are flashy, that draw us away, that uh, we sort of chase after. And that's what the Bible calls idols, um, things that compete with the Lord for our heart, for our affections. And so this, the songwriter here, the hymn writer is saying to us, own him as the chiefest among 10,000. Choose him. He is the better part. So it says chief among 10,000 own him. Joyful, choose the better part. So that is what this song is about. It's asking the question, has the Lord captured your heart? If so, keep him as the chiefest among 10,000 in your heart. And so then it goes into this discussion of idols. So it says idols once they won thee, charmed thee. Lovely things of time and sense. Gilded thus does sin disarm thee, honeyed lest thou turn thee thence. So there's a lot of words in there that we might stumble over. And sometimes the language can seem outdated. But all this is saying in this verse is that if you think about it, all those things that used to take your attention, and, and sadly, sometimes they still do. They're not bad things in and of themselves. They are lovely things. Things like, uh, you know, uh, a beautiful 
a walk in the woods, you know, a love of nature. That's a beautiful thing. A love of our families. Maybe love for your parents or for your spouse or for your children. These are lovely things. Um, love even for uh, the, the saints or the assembly. All of these things are good. But if they ever took the place of Christ, then they become an idol. You know, and of course, there are things that aren't quite so good. Things that are more sinful. You know, when we were younger, some of us might have struggled with things like, uh, you know, things of the flesh, things like too much drinking, too much indulgence, too much gluttony. Those things uh, that uh, would more easily, we might more easily spot them as idols. Um, those things disarm us because they seem so good. They seem so wonderful. But the problem is when they take the first place, they become idols. And so these first two verses really set us up for the rest of the hymn. They're asking us, are there any things competing with your love of Christ? If so, they're idols. And so the next verse says, what has stripped the seeming beauty from the idols of the earth? That's the question that occupies the rest of this hymn. And it's the question that I'd like us to consider this morning. What can keep us from valuing something more than we should? What can keep us from having our loves out of order? You know, that's um, a phrase that St. Augustine, uh, as a writer from the early part of the church, used to talk about disordered loves. That's the real problem for the Christian. A lot of times it's not really these glaring sins that are the problem. It's disordered loves. It's valuing a thing above where it should be valued. Take uh, patriotism or love of country. That's a beautiful thing. But if that begins to take first place instead of the place where it belongs, then it's a disordered love. And so what we need is something that will strip us of these idols and keep us on the path that God has called us to. And the question is, what can strip us of this, this tendency we have toward idolatry, toward worshiping other things besides God? So first of all, he says, here's a couple of things that don't work. One is a sense of right or duty. So the verse says, not a sense of right or duty, but the sight of peerless worth. And then not the crushing of those idols with its bitter void and smart, but the beaming of his beauty, the unveiling of his heart. So do we see the contrast? He's saying, what's going to keep us from idolatry? Not simply a sense of right or duty. Like we, we know we should love the Lord more. So I'll just grit my teeth and you know, I'll read the Bible. I know I should read it. I, I know I should love the Lord Jesus. Uh, I love these other things more. Like I'd rather be uh, eating a fancy meal or I'd rather be uh, out there fishing. You know, I'd rather be, um, you know, uh, somewhere else. I'd rather be watching a good movie. I'd rather be uh, 
playing video games for some of our younger viewers, right? Or not so young viewers that we all play video games that seemingly in this culture, but I'd rather be doing these other things, but I know I should love Jesus more. So I'm just going to kind of grit my teeth and clench my fists and, and bear it. That sense of duty will never do it. That will never draw us away from idols. Neither will the crushing of those idols. You know, you know that sometimes if think about a child who really loves something, say they really love, um, you know, video games or something, and we want them to, to love the Lord more. Well, I'm going to say, well, I'm just going to take that thing away and, and burn it. Right. And I'll, I'll just that'll that'll solve it. A lot of times that only makes it worse because the child's like, oh, you know, my my one true love is gone. And when those idols are crushed or taken away from us, that can actually make idolatry deepen. This is why take money, for example. Money, of course, is the biggest idol that we sometimes fall into worshiping. That's why the rich person can worship money, but so can the poor person. Just because they don't have it doesn't mean they don't worship it. Just taking it away does not free us from idolatry. What is the solution? According to this hymn writer, it says, the sight of peerless worth. That's what's going to solve your idolatry problem. In the fourth verse, it says, it's the beaming of his beauty, the unveiling of his heart that is going to solve our idolatry problem. And that takes us into this really beautiful idea in verse five. Who extinguishes their taper until they hail the rising sun? So a taper is another word for a candle. So imagine yourself in a, in a society where there's no electricity and you've got your candle there walking through the darkness. You know, if you blow out that candle, you might be afraid. And so you hold on to the candle. But when the sun rises, you start to realize this candle is useless. I can throw it away. I don't need it anymore. And it's when the sun rises that you begin to see the weakness of that other light. Or you can see in the next part, who discards the garb of winter till the summer has begun? You know, you've got that winter coat on to keep you warm. But the sun is really going to keep you warm. So you might wear that coat whenever you're in the freezing cold and you're like, oh, I need to be I need to be kept warm and comforted. And we sometimes use our idols that way. You know, we we put them on to keep us to shield us from loneliness, to shield us from the, the, the threat of despair or, or depression. We cling to them. But when summer comes, you'd be a fool to keep that winter coat on. You don't need it anymore. The sun is heating you and warming you. So that's the solution that this hymn writer says. Instead of trying to say, how do you solve your idol problem? Is it just taking your idols away or just knowing that you shouldn't love them? No, it's looking at Jesus square in the face and his beauty will draw you away. And so then verses six and seven have one sentence. And this is what I'd like to just conclude on. This is the sentence that gives us the solution. So I'll just read it in, it, it's in, in its entirety. Tis the look that melted Peter, tis the face that Stephen saw, tis the heart that wept with Mary can alone from idols draw, draw and win and fill completely. 
till the cup overflow the brim. What have we to do with idols who have companied with him? This is the solution. If we fill our heart with Christ, there's no room for disordered loves anymore. And this is why we see in this verse three examples of people who were able to look to Jesus in the midst of their sufferings, and it knit their heart to him more deeply. And so just briefly here, because I know the time is going on, I'd like to just look at these three examples and see this is the cure for idolatry. In our sufferings, look to Jesus. We have three examples of suffering here, and they really cover all of the sources of suffering and sorrow in the world. We see Peter suffering from his own failure. We see Stephen suffering from foes, enemies. We see Mary at the tomb of Lazarus suffering because of the fallenness of creation. Our failures, our foes, and the fallen creation causes suffering in the life of the believer. And in each instance, the solution is a fresh look to the face of Christ. Or another way to put it, Peter is suffering because of his own sins. Stephen is suffering because of the sins of others. Mary is suffering because of the kind of sin, capital sin, the effect of sin on the earth, ultimately leading to death. But in all of those sufferings, they have an opportunity to look to the face of Christ. And it's in that look that's going to draw them away from other, all the other things they could have turned to in their sufferings. You know, Peter is a good example of somebody who is ripe for addiction or, or alcoholism or drug addiction. Somebody like Peter completely blows it. We know the story. He, you know, the, the one thing he wanted to do, he couldn't do, and he fails. He denies the Lord that he loves. You know, in, when you fail, where do you turn? You know, a lot of people turn to drinking, drugs, other types of addictive behavior. Peter, instead, we see in Luke, this is in Luke 22. Jesus wouldn't let him take that route. And in Luke 22, after um, he denies Jesus, it says when he denies him the final time, this is in verse 60 of Luke 22, Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. That emphatic denial. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And those tears were real, but the tears were what Peter needed. That's what was able to break him of maybe other things he might have returned to, maybe just going back to his life of fishing or all the other things that we could have turned to. It's that look that melted Peter. And stripped him of the idols of the earth and made him the devoted disciple that we see and the apostle that we see in the book of Acts. For Stephen, 
he wasn't suffering because of his failures, his own sins. He was suffering for other people's sins. And sometimes that's where our sorrows come from. People have it out for us. People do us wrong. People do bad things to us. But, you know, Stephen got a beautiful glimpse of the Lord's face as well. And we don't need to read the whole thing, but just a verse in chapter 7, in Acts 7. Even as they're throwing the stones, this is what we see. In Acts 7, 54, you know, he, he had convicted the crowd. It said, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. But it says in verse uh, 59, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What's going to empower you to have that kind of response when people do you wrong? What's going to empower you to die or suffer like Stephen? Forgiving his enemies. It's the fresh glimpse of the face of Christ. And then lastly, we know the story of Mary weeping at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11. You know, and let's admit it, much of our suffering and sorrowing isn't directly a result of our personal sin or maybe even the sins of others. It's just living in this fallen world. We get sick. Loved ones get sick. They die. We lose. There's loss. We think of uh, the suffering caused by that building collapsing, right? Uh it's not that it's someone's fault or, or anything else. It's just part of being human is to suffer. But when suffering comes, it's an opportunity to look to Christ. And that's why these sisters invited Jesus into their suffering. And it says there that in the hymn, it says, it's the heart that wept with Mary that will alone draw you away from idols and draw it completely. And so Jesus looked around in verse 34. Um, he says to the crowd there, where have you laid him, Lazarus? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. You know, well, why was he weeping? He was weeping at the effect of sin on the world. But the overall uh, thought this morning is that don't waste your sorrows. It, if we take our sufferings as opportunities to look freshly at the face of Jesus, then that can be our cure for idolatry. It's always a threat for the believer that something will draw us away and seem more attractive than him. Let's look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, that we might find um, it's like the sun rising and all the other lights are going to begin to seem dim compared to him. Might that be true for all of us for his namesake?